Hello, everybody, and thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Report. With us today is Daniel McAdams, our co-host. Daniel, good to see you. Good morning, Dr. Paul. How are you this morning? Doing well. All right. <laughs> Doing well. Yeah. Better than uh, some of the people who are in charge of uh, America's interest in the Ukraine. Yeah. And uh, it doesn't look like we're coming home. We pretend we come home from Iraq and Afghanistan and all these places, which we never really do come home. Uh, the only place I remember in my lifetime where it looked like we really did come home, uh, militarily speaking, was Vietnam because we lost so badly. But um, it, we were sort of obsessed with our policy of intervention and policing the world. We have an empire. It was destiny for us to be manager of the, of the world, destiny to manage the very, very stable gold-backed, uh, you, you know, national uh, world currency, you know, and have a gold-backed currency. So, but right now, uh, things aren't going exactly uh, uh, the way uh, it, they could and should be in Ukraine. Yeah. Uh, the Pentagon, uh, you know, we sort of thought they might back off a little bit, but they're not backing off one bit. They, they're sending, they, they want to prepare everybody. But there's a, there's a special interest group uh, in this country. Uh, some, are, some are political, uh, and they, they, they're on whatever side looks politically popular, uh, whether it's liberal or conservative. Uh, they'll go that way, but it seems like either party might have strong connections to the military-industrial complex. So they need, they need an enemy, and right now it's Ukraine, the Pentagon's warning. There's there, there's an invasion coming. Those Russians are going to do it. And, uh, of course, we've been uh, trying to seek out exactly what's going on because we're a, a little bit skeptical on the fact that uh, people are trying to scare the American people into saying they're marching. Right now, the polls show the American people are still uh, not even interested because our schools, they forgot about geography. Yeah. You know what? Geography was one of, the, one of the courses I liked the best in grade school. But I bet you there's a few graduates from maybe even high school they wouldn't know where Ukraine is yeah you know yeah. but anyway we have troops and money going over there and the Pentagon uh, is pumping it up and trying to scare people uh, but then all of a sudden there's some people you know uh, that uh, there's not enough in this country saying you know may, maybe uh, it isn't quite this bad and then you have a few people in Europe are saying Hey, maybe maybe this isn't necessary. Maybe this, on the long run, we're going to uh, suffer from this. And even even in Ukraine, they're saying, well, you know, may, maybe maybe we should be more cautious and not just accept this whole thing that you know the war is coming and it's destined to happen. And uh, there's a limit to how far the Ukrainians get. Uh, with their uh, boasting on how powerful they are, and they all t and they, they throw out these threats. <laughs> now, yeah, we can throw and Biden can throw out those threats, uh, but even that is very, very dangerous because uh, I'm not so sure that uh, we'd have good leadership if uh, hostilities actually did break out. So it's still in flux. It, yeah. it isn't. It isn't any better today than it was yesterday. We uh, haven't moved except more people are recognizing maybe. Maybe imminent war on February 1st is not as quite as obvious as they pretended it to be. Well, what's interesting that we noticed today is the mixed messages that we're getting. And I think what that suggests is that this is much more political than a lot of people would like to suspect, uh, would like to believe. Because we have been told for the last week or so, actually since December, 
a Russian invasion is imminent. Russia is amassing troops inside its own territory, right? <laughs> so this whole imminent invasion narrative was con has continued. But the interesting thing that, that, that we've noticed is that there seems to be kind of a split uh, in the administration. On the one hand, and we talked about um, John Kirby, the Pentagon spokesman yesterday, who said, um, uh, instead of saying it's imminent, he said, we're watching what they could do, what they potentially might do. We're not there yet. That means they're backing down because I think what happened, Dr. Paul, is they looked around over the European allies, and with the exception of the UK, where the prime minister is facing getting booted out today, nobody was on board with this. <laughs> Nobody's on board with this bellicosity, but that doesn't hinder, uh, hinder the State Department. The State Department and Jen Psaki, who's a White House spokesperson, she keeps with the invasion is imminent. The State Department is acting as if it's imminent. In fact, Let's look at a couple of clips here to show this, what I think is a real, you know, wide chasm between in the administration. Put that first clip on if we can. This came out just today from the U.S. Embassy in Ukraine. And they're saying the U.S. Embassy urges U.S. citizens in Ukraine to consider departing now because of the threat of Russian military action. Now, this sounds very propagandistic to me. It's trying to frighten people that it's coming, it's imminent. And here is Wendy Sherman. She's the Deputy Secretary of State, an extraordinarily powerful woman. Uh, let's put this on next, this next clip. This is AFP reporting this morning. There's every indication that Putin plans to use military force against Ukraine by mid-February, says Deputy Secretary of State Sherman. Of course, it was imminent. Now it's mid-February. Let's put up that, um, the next clip, actually, because when you actually... The next clip, please. When you actually talk to Ukrainian officials, they have a very different story. And this is their foreign minister who's in a position to know. He said the number of Russian troops deployed along the border was not enough for a major attack. This is their foreign minister. And finally, the AP article next uh, is also from Ukrainian leaders. If we can put that next clip up. Uh, Ukrainian leaders, stay calm. Russian invasion is not imminent. So, Dr. Paul, the Ukrainians... The Ukrainian government, which itself would benefit enormously for the U.S. to go all in and for, to, to hype up. They have every incentive to hype up the fear. They are saying, hang on, guys, this is not coming. Yet the administration in the form of the State Department and the White House continue to ratchet up the fear that it's coming. You know, what we do and say is very important. And I think that uh, when you have an interventionist foreign policy, they talk a lot and they try to scare people into it, and the policies are usually deeply flawed, and it does so often lead to bad things. I mean, there's reason to, in general, be concerned about this because look at what they did, uh, you know, in this century so far. Look at how much fighting and killing has gone on since the beginning of this century, and, and, and it's a whole lot. But what happens if interventionism, although it's conceivable, can cause serious conflicts if you don't get your conflict soon enough I you still need some agitators out there you still need to scare people don't or they'll become complacent you know they might decide to go to the football game or go fishing or something like that yeah we have to, have to keep them scared so they're doing this and I think that's what right now uh, <clears throat> which means that 
the danger still exists, the vulnerability, because we don't know uh, what kind of false flag could occur and what kind of mistakes to make and, and what political faction in this country has to say something. One thing that concerns me is the power of our military industrial complex. And uh, so often this thing, you know, the, the debate going on here about whether we should be there or come home isn't, you know, divided by the parties. Both parties, our parties, the major parties say, just, just stay, you know. Yeah. And uh, but, but we are better managers, they might argue. But the, the uh, Democrats right now are having a little trouble making that case. Well, we are doing a much better job. We have our president in there, and he was overwhelmingly won to the office. Yeah. So therefore, he's going to guide us okay. But it's a dangerous situation, but as of not, not quite what they painted it to be. But uh, I say don't let it go. Done. Yeah, they still do want to ramp it up. Well, here's a couple of other clips to just to sort of demonstrate what we're thinking, I think. And let's look at this next one, because this is the Ukrainian delegate to the Normandy Four Talks. And this is um, uh, uh, Russia, Ukraine, France and Germany. Note that there's no U.S. and no U.K. in these talks. This is a completely different tune than the hysterical thing from the U.S. Embassy. Uh, this is the negotiator from the Ukrainian side, arrived in Paris with the Ukrainian delegation to meet with the Normandy Four leaders' political advisors. We have finally managed to unlock the format, and it's a strong signal of readiness for a peaceful settlement. Hope for a constructive dialogue in Ukraine's interest. That doesn't sound like a country that really honestly believes it's about to be invaded by Russia. And let's put up that bonus clip, however, though, because... This is also Wendy Sherman. Again, she tweeted this, I think, today or just a few hours ago. So while they're getting ready for talks, Dr. Paul, here's what, uh, if there's a, it's a bonus. Here we go. Wendy Sherman. Now, this, remember, she's the Deputy Secretary of State, the second leading diplomat, not warrior, diplomat in the U.S. government. Here she is putting up a photograph of tons and tons of weapons going to Ukraine. She says, the United States, with our allies and partners, is committed to Ukraine's sovereignty. Today's delivery of defensive assistance, which is a euphemism for weapons to kill people, to Ukraine shows our continued resolve and solidarity with Ukrainian people. So she's touting, as a diplomat, she's touting weapons of war, murder, mayhem, and destruction as a wonderful, wonderful thing. And I wrote about this uh, last night, Dr. Paul, on the Ron Paul Institute website. Pelosi now is also saying, we need to move this bill. It's a half a billion dollars in more weapons to Ukraine. We've got to move it to the floor. There's not even time to mark it up. We've got to get it through immediately. But what they don't realize, these weapons that, that our diplomats are touting as being so wonderful, they are going to be used to kill Russians. Now, it might be defensive in the case of a Russian full-out invasion, but there are a quarter of a million Russian citizens in Donbass, and Ukraine, Kiev, has been firing at them and shooting at them and bombing them since 2014. So these very weapons that we're sending them may well be used against the people in Donbass in eastern Ukraine and start killing Russians. And then they'll get what they wanted because they will have provoked the Russian reaction that I think they're hoping for. The one thing we know that'll cost a lot of money and it won't contribute to peace. But at the same time, it may contribute to confusion because sometimes those weapons don't work as well as they're <laughs> no. supposed to. Maybe we should just <laughs> sort them all out. <laughs> there were some countries, I think Saudi or something, we'd give them all the weapons, but we'd never give them ammunition. Yeah. <laughs> never sell them the ammunition. 
But I, I wanted to follow up with a, another story about the military-industrial complex, yeah. and they better not depend on uh, aircraft carriers. You, <laughs> you know, if anybody's listened to this program, they've known I've been a little skeptical of the need to spend a lot of money on an aircraft carrier, and it's not like a lot of uh, millions of dollars or even uh, a couple billion. Uh, and uh, I, uh, I've mentioned this this one. It's the newest carrier, and it probably has a lot of fancy electronics on it. It's probably been probably been built by all 50 states because you have to distribute the the labor to get all the votes for this. But it, 13 billion dollar carrier uh, has now been declared that it has sowed doubt that it can defend itself its own self <laughs> now, not only take over ukraine tomorrow you know because uh because they, i don't think they can depend on the f-35 either to do their work <laughs> but we do know it costs a lot of money we do know it, that it is not an accident they're not making a mistake so to speak because some people who like to make profits don't necessarily uh they still have to guard against a little bit against people dying they probably know it happens but that's that's uh, just a necessity but 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 if they can build weapons that don't uh, have to be used somebody's still making a, a few bucks it's sort of like some of the money being spent in the war against covid yeah. you just think how many billions of dollars have been spent there and uh, but this this uh, this ship uh, has its problem and it's had it for a long time it reminds me of the of the f-35 you know yeah. constantly spending money on it and uh, every once in a while you, you see it's up oh we had a problem yesterday <laughs> this sort of thing yeah this is the kind of thing our friend chuck spinney's been writing about since the 80s which is the the acquisition, the, the military uh, acquisition process and how it favors extraordinarily expensive weapon systems that just don't work. <laughs> um, but let's put up the clip because this is from Bloomberg. Uh, and uh, Dr. Paul, you noticed this this morning and sent it over. Uh, this is, um, you can put up that next, that next clip over there. Uh, here we, no, no, go, uh, go back one. There we go. <laughs> Navy's $13 billion carrier, as you say, Dr. Paul, so doubt that it can even defend itself. And the thing is, I, hate, I, I don't want to take the joke away from you, but I can't resist it. You know, the punchline, the jokes write themselves on this because it's the USS Gerald R. Ford, right? And any of us who remember Chevy Chase back in the days when Saturday Night Live was funny and how he portrayed Gerald Ford as always stumbling and tripping and this sort of thing, it's, it's, sort, of, it's sort of funny, but not funny. But on a more serious note, though, Dr. Paul, I think really... And if Chuck Spinney were here today, he would see, would probably, I know he would agree. But this really exposes the corrupt underbelly of the entire military industrial pro uh, complex, the military procurement process, really the rot, the moral rot and corruption at the core, at the literal core of our foreign policy itself. And this will contribute to the climactic end uh, of a sort of like a climactic end to a dollar or the reserve currency. It'll come, but who knows when and how fast it'll come is, is, is up for grabs. But in, in this case, these, this contribution and our foreign policy and some of the social mischief that goes on in, in our training of our troops, all this adds up that we probably aren't the fighting force that, uh, that we once were you know, in a serious way. Um, you know, even with the shortcomings of what went on with World War II, it was pretty amazing 
what they put together in about three years. And, 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 and now when we fight these really useless wars that are fought only to sell weapons, that we can go into a country that, uh, that we take 20 years and we leave in there in worse shape than when we went in and spent these billions, if not trillions, trillions of dollars on this. So this, uh, this doesn't make a heck of a lot of sense. But if it brings it to the point where somebody says, I say, you know what, we don't have a choice. We don't have real wealth. We can't keep doing it. We have yeah. to cut something. And uh, it, it'll be a shame that the people who are paying these bills right now, see the inflation tax now is being paid by the poor people in the middle class. Yeah. And, it's, and, and, they're, and they, they get to pay for this stuff. It's totally unnecessary and dangerous and all. But there has to be a time when the people connect this and say, this wasteful spending, get us into wars we don't need, are being paid for through inflation, which is a regressive tax because they just print the money and, you know, devalue the currency. So that that exists. And uh, I think there will be a day when uh, this will be recognized. That's, that's really what happened to the Soviet system. Yeah. They went broke. Yeah. And they, they finally, they had the brains to, at that point in 89, to admit it, which is, uh, and we're a long way off from that, because when you see the uh, the cooperation, if you want to bring, uh, you know, bipartisanship together, just just talk about uh, foreign policy, because you could be accused of being un-American, <laughs> yeah. you know, if, if you don't support all this spending. That's such a great point there, Dr. Paul, and we've talked about it a lot. We really are not going to turn the tide, I think, until middle America realizes that this is not patriotism. This is the opposite of patriotism. They're getting fleeced. They're getting ripped off. And we're becoming weaker as a country because if we're on our knees or on our backs because our currency is destroyed, we're going to be at the, uh, at the mercy of people who we've been irritating for the past couple of decades. But I think we're going to move on now to something in Virginia, which we've been watching closely because... The election there was probably nothing short of a miracle. We're not saying that Glenn Youngkin is the best thing since sliced bread, but the symbolism of him being elected this Republican uh, is enormous. Well, the first thing, the rarest thing is that on the first day he was in office, he actually lived up to his campaign promises. (laughs) And among other things, he signed an executive order saying it's up to the parents to decide if they want their children to wear masks at school. This is a parental choice issue. Well, we can put up the next um, clip, and I'll toss it back to you, Dr. Paul. There are a few counties in Virginia that were not happy about parents having say over their children's health choices. Yes, and they, uh, you know, they had the edict, and which was very good, but uh, Fairfax County said, no way, we're not going to do it, and they've just defied them. Yeah. And, and, and they challenge it. What's interesting about this, this becomes, uh, you know, a constitutional discussion as well. Because let's say the governor did right. He did something that was legal. It should be the law of the land. But if one group is defiant to the government, oh, oh let's go to the federal courts and let's get the federal government to come in and move in. And, you know, technically, I don't, I don't, I don't like that idea. And I think that uh, it should be pointed out. And I think the people in Virginia... If they stood up and voted the way they did, they're not going to put up with this, you know, and they're going to have to stand up to it. It should become, you know, if they're totally defiant of it. Besides, it's all this money thing anyway. All these, you know, it isn't like they're an independent private school 
which you'd even have less trouble criticizing private school to do, do what they want about the mass. But no, they, they're going to have to, uh, you know, deal with this. And I would, I would think that, uh, you know, continuing to fund these people who, who say, I'm not going to listen to the law, and then, yeah. and then, and then turn the people who won't wear the mask as being the, uh, the monsters of the world. Yeah. It's just terrible. So this is, I, don't, I think we're going to hear some more about this. You know, yeah. uh, the, I, I imagine by now a lot of people in Virginia aren't real happy with Fairfax. Yeah, it's, it's difficult because you're in a position where you're supporting a governor over a local body, you know. But I always think back to the Bob Wenzel rule, which is does it pr further liberty or does it inhibit liberty? And certainly having a governor remove restrictions, I think, furthers liberty. So I think it's, you know, according to that rule would be something to, yeah. to support. But we, let's put that back up again because I'll just tell the story real quick. This is from uh, the Daily Wire, and they do a good job on this. So a Daily Wire reporter was there. A, a, a mother brought her two young children uh, to go to school in Fairfax County. Uh, she decided as a parent that she didn't want to have them put a mask on. And so when she got there, she was met by the vice principal and a cop, a school cop, and they said, you can't come in. And they threatened to arrest her, and they actually called the police and told the kids they couldn't go to school without putting this mask on, regardless of, of what the governor said. So this is a real face-off, and it's a shame, having lived in Fairfax County for a long time, when it used to be a red, a red area, uh, not to say that's the panacea, but it's very, very disconcerting what they're doing. And Loudoun County is no better. We know Loudoun County, they, they just turn known rapists yeah. onto the, you know, hey, go in the bathroom, whatever you want to do, go ahead, go for it. Um, so I think this is, a real, uh, this is a real moment for Youngkin to see what he's made of. Is he a Greg Abbott who likes to say a lot of good things but never backs it up? Or is he a Ron DeSantis who's going to put his money where his mouth is? And, you know, there has been a threat that we're going to pull your money if you, don't, if you don't listen to these things. And that might be a way to get their attention. You know, one of the greatest obstacles to this and, and promote our side of this to have local people decide and um, less people needing and forced to wear a mask. But it isn't the law as much now as I see it. It's a conditioning, this psychological conditioning where parents, they feel... They feel like they have no clothes. They have yeah. to do something. You don't have your mask on. And the, even the kids are suffering from yeah. this, that they've been so conditioned. And this is a year or two of this. That is that's probably uh, as, as powerful as the as the policeman. But it comes it's together because they've been facing the policeman and the governors that wouldn't stand up to this. So uh, there, it's a two edged sword. Uh, one, one is that you have to free up the uh, free up the community and free up free up the legislation so people can do what they want and don't not have to wear these. At the same time, you have to deal with it emotionally, and and we've talked a lot about that. How much the kids have suffered. Now, I, I, I you know, a year or so ago, um, if somebody I hadn't thought it through, yeah, and I, I thought. I, I would have been surprised if somebody said, you know what's going to happen when, you, when these kids are finally allowed to take off their masks? Some of them aren't going to want to take off their mask. Yeah. And uh, that, that to me would have been hard to believe, but it's, it's true now. It's not universal, and we have to deal with it. So they need some, uh, they need some confidence building that uh, they ought to be. You, you can't play baseball with a mask on, yeah. you know. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of mental harm and emotional harm that's being done, and people should be forced to pay for it. Well, here's from the same article. I just had a couple of, of, of quotes from there here, Dr. Paul, because as I read through the article, it's, as I said, not just Fairfax, but Loudoun County, 
a bunch of lunatics over there. What are they doing? They're not just, they're not just calling the cops. They're saying, oh, okay, well, the governor said you can come in without a mask. You've got to go over there. You've got to go in that place. You've got to stay over there. You can't do this. Let's put up the, this is from the same article from the Daily Wire. Let's put this up, this next quote. This is pretty astonishing. This is basically abuse and segregation. Most Loudoun students interviewed by the Daily Wire on Monday said they disagreed with the mask mandate, but would comply anyway for fear of punishment from teachers. Loudoun students who were not masked were moved to a separate room where one parent said they were not allowed to speak all day. That is child abuse. And here's the next one. This is a, um, he works on the Hill and he's got some kids in Loudoun County School. Um, he's the director of communication for the Ways and Means Committee. Uh, he said, just got a heads up that Loudoun County Schools are punishing kids who don't wear masks by putting them in the equivalent of a rubber room without access to instruction. Teachers insisting kids wear masks regardless of the governor's order and saying, wait until the Supreme Court decision. What kind of a monster would do that to kids? You know, if that occurred in a private school, you know, let's have a daydream that schools were run privately, yeah. they'd be fired. Yeah. They'd be over and done with, and they would be hired on certain conditions. And they, guess what they wouldn't have to contend with? are the unions yeah you know bob love had uh, uh, had a private school a long time i think it was in wichita and he uh, he had 12 grades and and because it was totally private he was a libertarian and he had a great reputation for how the kids were doing <laughs> so i went uh, i went out to visit this school once and I, I walked in the room and he was sitting in the office and uh I, I, uh, he showed me around the classrooms and all. I said, well, where's your, where's your staff? I want, <laughs> I want to see your staff. Yeah, they had 12 grades. Yeah. And he says, this is it. I'm the president, and she runs things. <laughs> one, one staff person wow. who was secretarial, and they handle all the finances and all the, all the information. And of course, the teachers were probably very well motivated. They might have even enjoyed, you know, teaching kids rather than uh, belonging. And there were, of course, no union dues <laughs> either. But uh, that, that is just a dream now for uh, for most people, even though there's a lot more interest now, whether it's uh, private school or whether it's homeschooling, a lot more interest now in it because uh, e even though a lot of this is sort of getting behind us, people are, are realizing they go back to school and some of those teachers are still enforcing the old rules yeah. and intimidating the kids. So uh, if, if it's, you know, it's just so simple. Give people the freedom of choice on what they want to do with their lives. Yeah, because you know, you've already taken their money. And, yeah. and that's, oh, that's really complex. How many books would you need? You know, today we, I bet you in school regulations and social things, I bet, bet the regulations on the school, I bet you'd have a book like yeah, this no on, on well, all the regulations that you have to follow. Well, it's sad because, you know, that, that part of the country, and I lived there for a long time, is very expensive. And I know, as a matter of experience, it's very difficult to make do on one salary. So a lot of these, you know, families are forced to both work. But I would tell them, if you're out there and you're searching, you maybe you don't need that late model car. Look into ronpaulcurriculum.com. <laughs> um, it's what we've used, and homeschooling is great. Uh, so there are alternatives. It's tough to survive there on one salary. But sometimes if you tighten the belt a little... You can you can do it right. So um, I have one more item. Okay. On, uh, on this, uh, on on where we are uh, at this particular time, about uh, which which countries have been the uh, the the uh, more peaceful. 
uh, were joint uh, Cor corruption, yeah, and the corruption. And uh, nobody would ever have guessed that uh, the United States has slipped. <laughs> they're not as highly respected for less corruption. Uh, there, there was a time uh, where uh, you know there was some respect. There was a time when you know uh, the little town I lived in, there was one policeman. It yeah. was sort of like sort of like on the TV, one policeman. <laughs> and uh, and but the, but the policeman, the, the policeman or the small police force were always respected. That's not the case today. But uh, there's been there was a study and, uh, and and they found out that the, um, uh, the that the the best one the least corrupt in the world right now according to this survey Denmark is best New Zealand and Finland I, I didn't know this this is so this is information this may may well be true for all I know uh, but this is this is the one point I want to make now. For the first time, the United States dropped out of being in, in one of the top 25. Wow. So huh. we're below 25. Can you imagine how many, where are you going to, 25 countries is like, uh, if they're big countries, that's like <laughs> two-thirds of the world. Yeah, it's you a know? lot of people. But, but anyway, as they've seen, is corruption. And, uh, of course, one of the issues why they see it as corrupt uh, are the problems that we face in our elections. But that's probably a mixed bag because yeah. the propaganda said, well, all the corruptions are done by you know who. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And uh, so, so this, this, I think, tells us a story about what happens when we resort to, uh, you, you, you know, the authoritarianism, the, the uh, bureaucracy, and the control at a central level, and no freedom of choice. And then the thing that we've just gone through here with COVID. Yeah. Well, these things are problematic. You know, they can be problematic. But, you know, we don't think that polls are perfect or rankings are perfect. Uh, you, you can't talk about them. And so we can talk about this. And this is Transparency International's 2021 survey of most and least corrupt countries. And this is basically about perception of public sector corruption according to business people uh, and others. So this is the perception of it. And again, as you say, the U.S. has slipped below the top 25 uh, in, in uh, cleanness, in lack of uh, corruption and pro-transparency. But something else that I noted, Dr. Paul, this is kind of interesting, is the country that we are guaranteeing its sovereignty and giving them all this stuff. If you look on the list next, let's put on the next um, clip, second to last. This is, their, this is their ranking. And of course, you're not going to be able to read it on the, on the screen here, but you can go to it, transparency.org, CPI. And you'll see that Ukraine is way, 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 way toward the bottom. Uh, the only thing that's worse than Ukraine is South Sudan, which is the worst. And guess who created South Sudan? We did, right, when we peeled them away. But Ukraine is widely perceived as one of the absolute most corrupt countries on Earth. Well, we, in a way, own yeah. Ukraine. Yeah. I mean, we, we created the we government created, they have yeah. right now. <laughs> so do you want to have a, a little more closing? Or are you yeah, finished? I'm going to do a little closing because I have a chart. And it's, I, I like to do this because it's, sometimes a picture is worth a thousand words, sometimes even more. This is something I noticed on, on Twitter yesterday. Let's put this, this up because this is comparing South Africa and Israel when it comes to COVID. And this is pretty amazing. Only 27% of South Africans are fully vaccinated, while Israel is the most among the most vaccinated countries on earth. Now they're onto their fourth jab. Now look at daily new confirmed COVID-19 cases per million. 
That vertical line through the roof is Israel, one of the most vaccinated countries on earth. They are breaking world records in infections per million every single day. And look down there at South Africa, the little tiny thing on the bottom, which is going nowhere and in fact has collapsed. I don't know what it means, Dr. Paul, but if I were the person making public health policy, I would take a look at what I was doing and think maybe I'm doing something wrong. It shouldn't be hard for you to convince them. <laughs> yeah. Get your charts out yes. there. And look at this it. chart. Yeah. <laughs> so that's all for me, Dr. Paul. Very good. You know, I was, I was thinking the other day because somebody asked me a similar question to this. We, you know, it's, it's a mess in, in Ukraine. So what would you do if they put you in charge? How would you handle this? Don't you realize NATO's involved? Eastern Europe, uh, Western Europe, the Europeans are involved. The Russians are involved. And it's on and on. The United Nations has to be taken care of. And you have, how are you going to contend with, with the military-industrial complex? How can you do all this? What, do, do, I, we know you can talk with people and get along with people, but uh, you know that's going to take a tremendous amount of diplomatic skills to bring all this together. And I would say there's only one word you need, non-intervention. Yeah. Have a non-intervention foreign policy. That's their problem. And uh, if we have Americans interested in helping or contributing, or if we have an interest in, in talking about and writing about it maybe, but no intervention through government force. And believe me, you, you can't have that mess over there without intervention. Look at the, look at the Middle East that's been going on since World War I. You know, mainly because we uh, we follow basically the world follows now an interventions foreign policy and they line up. It's competitive, very costly and very, very dangerous. And I think we pointed that out today pretty much about Ukraine. It's still very expensive and uh, potentially very dangerous, which uh, government interference is. Government interference is a dangerous policy to have. And it's the opposite of liberty. Voluntarism is the way to go and the acceptance of the principle that you're not allowed to initiate aggression against other people. That is a one way you can seek peace and prosperity, and that is what we work for. I want to thank everybody for tuning in today to the Liberty Report. Please come back soon.